0: This morning's scripture is from the book of 1 John. And you normally don't think of um, 1 John as a Christmas passage or anything in it, but today it is. It's a great honor and privilege to preach today. So, if you will, would you please stand as I read our passage? Jacoboo! <laughs> He's fired up. He's fired up. but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you in the name of Jesus by the leading of your Spirit and ask now that you be glorified in our midst. Uh, May uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May you be glorified and may we see your Son, Jesus. Jesus, may you be exalted this morning. May we be refreshed. May we rest in your work, and may we do your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you have heard portions of this, so please suffer with me. This was from my uh, preaching class. And uh, though it will not be exactly the same, it will be similar. There is nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need so go the lyrics of that famous Beatles song All You Need Is Love written in 1967, 53 years ago and people say we live in unprecedented times now I say that the late 60s were very similar now not that this is a, a lecture on history it's not it's, and hopefully it's not a lecture at all but back to what I was saying so in 1967 the Beatles wrote this song and it was broadcast on TV and at that time it was the most watched program in history. Um, an estimated 400 to 700 million people saw that song and this song became the theme song for the hippie movement which was characterized by free love, drugs and rock and roll. It was the number one hit across the globe and it became the theme song for the Children of Love. Okay, the context of the song was a world in turmoil, particularly in the United States, but actually the Western world. It was the heart of the civil rights movement. Race riots were breaking out in major cities. Sound familiar? Throughout uh, the Vietnam was ra- Vietnam War was raging. The Cold War was ever present. The sexual revolution was picking up steam, and a huge gap was forming between the Greatest Generation parents who went through World War II and their children, the baby boomers, who became the hippies. The new morals of free sex and drugs were too much for parents to handle. It was as if the moral fabric of America was being torn in two physically and spiritually. And in many ways it was. America was very, very polarized. I, I know just in hindsight, I was only three when that happened, but uh, just when I raising my own children I've often thought that would have been one of the worst times to raise kids because there was such a divide. And uh, lo and behold, we're kind of in a similar time. But, but fear not. God is good. Uh, today we have the war on terror, okay? And some of the racial inequalities of the Civil Rights Movement that uh, they sought to redress are seem worse even. And the sex revolution has gone to hyperdrive, re- redefining all that was taken for granted as defined and settled. And as if that weren't enough, throw in COVID-19 on top of all that and you have the makings of what young people call a hot mess. You hear all the time in our media that our nation has never been more divided. So if we needed love in 1967, we need it in 2020. In fact, 2020 has been the year categorized as one hot mess. And when I wrote this, it was uh, in uh, March of 2020, and you would have thought things can't get worse. But never think that, because things can always get worse. And they have gotten worse. The words of John Lennon are just as appealing today as they were then. Okay, But those words give rise to a question, and it is this. What is love? The so, love is repeated, I don't know how many times in the song. I should have counted it for you, but it's a lot, right? But he doesn't tell you what love is. He just says we need it. And and the song, I don't even know what it means. Really. Like, you read it and it's like, oh. You know, and like, people try to be esoteric like they understand it. It's like, no they don't. Like, it, it's nonsense. That's <laughs> <laughs> Almost 1,900 years before John Lennon wrote, All You Need Is Love, another man named John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote these words from our passage. From the, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse John three eleven. Unlike John Lennon, this John defines love. He does so by showing us what real love is and does, as if to say... This is real love. So I'm, um, I'm skipping something here. So, uh, sorry. This is what you get. Okay, you got it. You're honest. Okay, today we're looking at 1 John 3, 11 through 18. All right? And what I want to show us is that, uh, I want to show us three things. And Lord willing, you will see these. This isn't just like out of my imagination. I didn't just make this up. One, we'll look at love's children. Two, we'll look at love's picture. And three, we'll look at love's action. Love's children, love's picture, and love's action. Okay, love's children. In verses 11 to 15, John compares and contrasts the children of God versus the children of the devil. Love's picture, verse 16, John shows us love's picture. And... As the number one Sunday school answer suggests, it's the same here, and that is love's picture is the person and work of Jesus. Love's action, verses 17 and 18. John uh, uh, Jesus's love and gra- John shows us that Jesus' love and uh, grace compel us to holiness and love for one another. That's verses 17 and 18. So let's look at love's children. The children of God versus the children of devil. 11 to 15. In verses 11 to 15, John compares and contrasts the children of God and the children of the devil, showing us whose they are by what they do. Okay? So, whose children they are determine what they do. God's children act a certain way and the devil's children act a certain way. Now, may I remind you that this is the disciple John writing. And, and these are words that he learned from Jesus. So this teaching is the same as Jesus' teaching because he was taught by Jesus. In fact, the New Testament, besides the Gospels, the Gospels te- teach us the life of Jesus in, in four different views. And then the A- book of Acts, we see the acts of the apostles and what they did and, and the beginning of the church. And then, and the, and then, and then the letters, the epistles, uh, and the book of Revelation. The uh, book of Revelation is apocalyptic. So in the, the, the uh, epistles... We see and are taught what Jesus taught the disciples, and so we see Jesus' doctrine there. So never separate the books and say, "Well, you know I'm just a lead letter red lead lead letter lead letter Christian. okay? The whole New Testament is red letter. In fact, the whole Bible is red letter. The whole thing should be read, all right It's kind of like when you get a good book you're highlighting it, and then you just realize you just highlight the whole thing, you know the whole Bible is Jesus' words. Thank you. That was my little uh, uh, bicentennial moment. Okay, um, so the the children of God versus the children of the devil. Verse 11, the children of God love one another. Alright? Verse 11 here says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. God's children are characterized by love. Alright? In fact, that is a commandment. I had Carl read that at the beginning because that is a law. Like, we should, there's the law of love. We should love one another. So that is what is to characterize us. And he contrasts that really quickly in verse 12 with some bad news. We should not be like Cain, who was, from, who was of the evil one and mu- murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So John goes all the way back to the beginning and, and, and shows us why there's this tension in the world today. There's two groups of children. There's an antithesis. There's the children of God and there's the children of the devil. That's why there's fighting. Because of, that, that, because of sin. Because of original sin, the fall in the garden. That explains all the chaos in the world. And I dare you to find a better explanation in for how things are. Why is there so much strife? It goes all the way back to the fall. Man thinking he knows better than God and thinking that he can shortcut and do what he wants and being tricked by the devil. And therefore sin entered the world because of the sin of our first parents. And he says here that Cain murdered evil because Cain's deeds were righteous. Excuse me, Abel's deeds were righteous, but Cain's deeds were were not. Okay, uh, murdered murdering Abel did not make Cain a murderer. Cain was a was a murderer. Therefore, he murdered. He hated Abel because he was like his father, the devil and his heart was wicked. So do not be like Cain. That's not who you are, okay, as a Christian. Cain hated because he was of the evil ones, showing us whose he was by what he does. Right, and then verse 13, John shows us what happens to the children of God. It says here, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So don't be surprised. Look what happened to Abel. Cain represents uh, the children of the devil and Cain, uh, Abel represents the children of God. The children of the devil hated hated Abel and they murdered him. So we shouldn't be surprised at all why we're hated. Now it doesn't mean that we're always going to be hated, that we won't have favor. In fact, Christians have enjoyed great favor in our country for a long time. But we can't be surprised at at the hate that we're receiving now. You know, don't be surprised they they hated Jesus. Look what they did to Jesus and he was he was truly righteous. verse 14. Children of God love because they are born of God. This shows us whose they are by what they do. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Loving the brethren is evidence that we are born again in the children of God. uh, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us not love one... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love is not born of God and abides in death. And the opposite of love is hate. Which brings us to verse 15. Children of God cannot hate. Children of God cannot hate. This shows us who they are but what they do. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Someone who is a child of God cannot be characterized by a life of practicing hate. It is impossible, because someone who is a child of God has the Spirit of God in them. God's Spirit will not allow you to continue on hating. 1 John 3, 9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. As Christians, the Spirit will not allow us to continually live in sin. We will be convicted of our wrongdoing and the Spirit will lead us to repent and turn to God as a true child. But I have this to ask you. Do we hate? Do you hate? Do you hate your neighbor? Do you hate other motorists? Are you like Goofy who goes from Mr. Walker to Mr. Wheeler when he gets behind the wheel have you guys all seen that the uh, the old goofy uh, cartoon some of you are too young to know that but the second Mr. Walker gets behind the wheel of a car he turns into Mr. Wheeler it's a real Jekyll and Hyde is that us is that you that's me it's me yesterday I was working on my car and like three teenagers I've never seen before walking down my street made fun of me and I'm working on my car, covered in grease, like trying to do something that I that was really, really hard, like 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 uh, losing your religion, hard. And they come by and make fun of me, and like I failed the test, right? <laughs> then. I totally failed the test. And and, uh, and by the time I, I I calmed down, it was too late to seek them out and ask for forgiveness. Do you hate liberals? Do you hate conservatives? Do you hate libertarians? Do you post hateful replies in Facebook? Do you hate hateful people? Do you hate haters? It goes on and on. Alright? The sad reality is we do judge and we do hate. Alright? If we're honest, we're guilty. Even as God's children, we do not love perfectly all the time, even when... We know we have to. In fact, the text implies that we do sometimes hate our brothers. That's why. That's why. It's, that's why it's there. All right. We are guilty. What should we do? Try harder. Promise to do better. Give up. Give in. No. When we find ourselves not loving as we ought, we don't look inside ourselves. Because the answer's not within you. The answer's outside. We look to Jesus. We look at love's picture. We look upon the person and work of Jesus. We look to what God has done and let your heart be melted. Love is the person and work of Jesus. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is a very short verse, but it's packed. It's packed. In fact, this whole packet, this whole this whole passage, it's, it's right in the middle of the book of 1 John. It's exactly in the middle. Alright? And the context for 1 John was a church suffering a schism there were false teachers and and they're jokingly called the super apostles who who, uh, we don't know exactly what they taught but we can deduce deduce by what John is teaching throughout his book that that one, they were hating people and two, they were teaching about a false Christ. And so right here, John puts this little passage telling us what real disciples look like what real love is right and of course he he points to Jesus right he doesn't point us to ourselves he doesn't point us to like um, a set of principles right like seven uh, seven whatever S- yeah seven steps for you know Stephen Covey you know your little daytimer that that gets you you know <laughs> set for life right you uh, what whatever okay hopefully you know what I'm talking about But uh, if not, it's okay. So love's picture is the work, life and work of of Jesus, all right? Um, Lest we think we become God's children by what we do instead of what he has done. John gives us the gospel right here in verse 16. It's a picture of what real is, what real love is, and what it does, okay? We know and experience God's love through the gospel, by believing the message that Jesus is the Son of God, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience to God's law. Jesus lived a sinless life of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience to God's law. Meaning that he obeyed God perfectly. Always. And he did this to fulfill God's righteous requirements, thereby meriting to us true righteousness. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And then he died for us on the cross to pay for our sins because we couldn't live that life. In fact, we violate the, we violate the terms of God's law. Okay And he rose again on the third day for our justification. And justification is God's making us as if we never sinned. By knowing and believing this message, confessing and repenting of our sin and placing all our trust in Christ, by by relying on Christ's work, we know and experience the love of Christ and the transforming power of His resurrection. This alone enables us to truly love but it doesn't stop there, right? Our Christianity doesn't stop at our salvation at believing the Gospel. It continues daily as we meditate daily and dwell upon the love of God in what Christ has done for us. Um, we look at Jesus being murdered on the cross because His deeds were righteous like Abel's. And ours, evil like Cain. We look at Jesus being hated by the world and passing into death so that we may have life, showing us that He truly loved the brethren. We look at Him dying the death of a murderer in our place, the death we deserved because of our hatred. Jesus is what real love is and does. And like a perfect sermon, this passage has the perfect application. Love's action. Jesus' love and grace compel us to love indeed in truth. Verses 17 and 18. Beloved, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Our portion of Scripture ends with the perfect application. John challenges us with a real-life situation. Love wrought by the Holy Spirit in the life of believers is done because of who we truly are, God's children transformed by His grace. Because God's Spirit now dwells in us, it is impossible for us not to love like Christ. Though we won't always do it perfectly, His Spirit will constantly direct us into loving as Christ loved. That's why John says, How can God's love abide in us if we have the world's goods and see our brother in need, yet close our heart against him? We may do it sometimes, but we can't do it all the time. The love of God won't love us, will won't let us. We must love indeed and truth. We must love according to who and whose we really are God's children. And God's children love like Jesus we love by laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how would this look in the time of COVID? How would loving as Christ love look at the time of COVID? Perhaps we shouldn't be hoarders, right? Perhaps we should share. And maybe we have to risk our lives for someone, for the sake of their souls. Or for the brethren, right? Perhaps we should be kind with people we don't agree with. uh, Specifically mask wearing or social distancing. Quite a bit of conflict within the church regarding this. Perhaps we could be gracious to the weaker brother, right? And wear a mask. I have like this really long Martin Luther quote, and uh, since I brought it up, I'm going to read it. All right. So this is uh, the words of Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, written uh, in the uh, mid 1500s from a letter entitled "Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague," as summarized by Kevin Martin. First things. In a nutshell. Luther found that elusive middle ground between panic and foolhardiness. Luther was aware some people were tempting God by refusing medicine or sensible precautions. He compares them to people who see their neighbor's house on fire and do not help put it out, saying, God, if he wills, can extinguish it without water. It's probably his judgment. Luther excoriates such senselessness as the mirror image of the hysteria that leads people to abandon their neighbors in time of grave need. So what was going on then was there was a plague and people were panicking you know fleeing, fleeing from the cities and not helping their neighbor so he was exhorting them as Christians you must help your neighbor. He's like, what are you doing and uh, if you've read uh, any of Martin Luther you know he could be rather bombastic and heavy handed and quite comical at times too. He encouraged people who were ill or infected to self-quarantine until they were completely well. This was unusual advice in the day. He chastised his murderers, those who knew they were sick, and yet exposed others to their illness. He said we should be gentle with and pray for those who are afraid and flee their civic duties. He encouraged the use of medicines and physicians, and recommended that public hospitals be established to treat this and other epidemics. They were few and far between in the 16th century. He wrote that public cemeteries outside of the town center, rare in his days, should be established in order to respect the dead and avoid infections from corpses. In all of this, he was far ahead of his time, and would have sounded overly cautious to 16th century ears. In other... Excuse me... On the other hand, there is no panic in Luther's letter. He says that Christians ought not to neglect their duties at home or in their communities over concerns of illness. That's why we're here gathering in worship. He thought hysteria had gripped much of Europe and was leading to great harm. He insisted we have a duty to serve our neighbor at all times, even if it might harm us or kill us, because we are all bound up together as Christ's body. He noted that if Christ or his dear mother were ill we would rush to care for them, heedless of danger. Since Christ lives in every one of our neighbors, this should motivate us to care for the sick and to continue in our vocations for the good of our neighbor, even if that brings some risk to ourselves. As I said in the introduction, the Beatles thought they could change the world with their message of all you need is love. The sad reality is that... Julian said this about his father, that's Julian Lennon. I have to say, from my point of view, I felt he was a hypocrite, he said. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most of them, his wife and his son. How can you talk about peace and love and have a family in bits and pieces? No communication, adultery, divorce. You can't do it, not if you're being true and honest with yourself. The problem with their message of all you need is love is it lacked power. It was just words. During the Summer of Love, there was another counterculture movement besides the hippies. It also had an anthem of love. It was called the Jesus People Movement. Maybe you've heard of it. In contrast to the hippies, it was a movement of God's Spirit in which many, many souls were brought to Christ. The fruit of this movement was manifested in lives transformed by the gospel message with children of God truly loving one another and living holy lives. Though not perfect, the Jesus People Movement showed people what real love is and does, especially here in Southern California. Calvary Chapel was born out of that movement. I'd venture to say there are people listening to this sermon who were led to Christ through Calvary's ministry. My life was utterly transformed by the ministry of Calvary Chapel, and I'm forever grateful. It was there I heard the gospel and believed it. It was there that I learned to love Jesus, the brethren, and I learned to lead love and deed and truth. There is only one kind of love that changes the world. Christ's love. And it really is all you need. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank You for uh, Your love for us. Thank You, Jesus, for loving us, for becoming a baby, for obeying God perfectly, becoming a man, suffering, for living, for dying for us, and raising again. Thank You, Spirit, for giving us life. Grant us grace, God, now that we would love In word and deed, that we love indeed and truth, and we ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.